0: Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss Breaking Bad. Hello everyone, welcome back to the show, this is Anthony. And this is James. Today we're gonna be talking about our mutual favorite TV show of all time, Breaking Bad, which was created by Vince Gilligan. We have so much in common. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> this show in general is just complete genius. We watched, well, Anthony, you watched it when it was live the first couple seasons. I mean, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> You're but, that guy. But I did start Breaking Bad and I was a big fan of it before, it before Netflix. Up. Before it went on Netflix. I was watching it on AMC every week when it was live. And you were telling me to watch it. And then when it got put on Netflix halfway through its show run, yeah. I started watching it. I was it like, and became you gotta obsessed. watch this show. It's crazy. And it was just kind of one of those first, like, ultra of binging shows that I think took United States and other countries by storm and personally I think AMC they did a terrific job post Soprano's era where Sopranos brought la- the film quality aesthetic and and filmmaking and production value In to the later TV. seasons yeah to TV yeah the first season is still good but it's, the first season still is cinematic Yeah, but it's not obviously it's as good as the production yeah. but it's low budget cinematic and then Breaking Bad on on AMC was a, a network and a show that really took it to a new level in modern times back then and when it started in 2008. Yes. And then uh, networks like FX has done the same thing with a ton of shows. And this is a show – it's got to be generally, generally considered the greatest show of all time. Like if you – whenever you see lists and whenever people – you ask them what their favorite show is – I think Breaking Bad is by far the most popular pick for Best Show, and they've even adapted it in other countries. Uh, Argentina, I believe, did their own Breaking Bad yeah. adaptation. And this show, what it did, like you said, yes, they, it brought that filmmaking, uh, the the great classical storytelling that you generally see in film on the television screen, but it also was so unique for TV, even for even even if you're talking about HBO, Showtime, and those networks, but especially on basic cable, this is a weird story. It's a dark story. It's intense. It's got great drama and unbelievable storylines, and it was very revolutionary and new for what you saw on television. And that's why I think once people got into it they became addicted to it just like that meth vault cooks up. (laughs) Yeah, the mystery and, like you said, weirdness is what drew people in, especially with the pilot episode where it opens with this man in his underwear in the desert with a gun pointing to nowhere, but you hear sirens in the background. It's like, what is this show? And then we cut to him in a... In a classroom, I think is the next yeah, shot. It's unbelievable. So it's just so interesting, just the pilot episode in general. Which I think that TV shows their pilot has to really draw you in, and, and that's really what sells the show for sure. And I, I'm sure what sold the show for Gilligan. especially the first five minutes. Even for a TV, t- even for a film, but for a TV show, because there's so many options, and you can, if you don't like something, you can turn, turn. Well, you used to be able to, you know, turn a channel to another 100 channels, whatever. But now you can just stream anything you want. So if if you're not grabbed within the first few minutes. You're just pretty, pretty much no hope for you watching the show from then on. Mm-hmm. So it has to be so amazing, and that sequence is really fantastic. And I read that Brian Cranston, during when he was designing the character for the pilot, he decided to make his mustache very thin because he, in the later seasons, he's got the goatee. It's very thick goatee. He can grow a great beard, but uh, he had the uh, hairstylist make his mustache very thin and wispy. And also to make it seem like he's so pathetic he can't even grow a good mustache, <laughs> and he also it was his idea to have the the white um, underwear yeah. that was also kind of stained because it, that's like a, a great character trait for Walter in the beginning of the of the story, wicked smart guy. And before we continue, if you want to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the best thing you can do is share us with your family and friends. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. Patrons get perks like personalized videos, our podcast schedule so you can see what upcoming episodes are coming out soon. Top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast and the best perk of all is every single patron has access to our weekly bonus episodes that only patrons can see. We post that every Wednesday as well as additional content throughout the week. Head on over to our website, RaidersOfLostPodcast.com to check out all of our sources of content, our merch, our custom movie posters. Follow, subscribe, wherever you're listening, and thank you so much for tuning in around the world. And my favorite part about this entire show, probably, besides like the acting and writing, is the style of the show. And I guess you could say the writing applies to this as well, as I think Vince Gilligan took so many influences specifically from Pulp Fiction, and that movie is all over the show. The aesthetic, the filming style, the tone, things like the, the many dinner, diner scenes and those shots, the open trunk shots the heroin and drunk scenes they are they're pretty much callbacks to pulp fiction jane is basically mia wallace in a way uh like the great scene in shots where jesse and walt are kidnapped and their hands are tied behind those chairs it's just like pulp fiction the basement scene jesse and walt picking a weapon on a shelf they both have their own scene where they're going through weapons like there's a hammer and there's this, this other weapon over here uh cleaning up dead bodies and then being hosed off in a backyard having like a fixer like like Vincent like the wolf in Pulp Fiction and Mike Ehrman Trout in Breaking Bad and my favorite probably reference is the famous toilet scene where in Pulp Fiction it's Vincent Vega in the diner just reading that book while he's you know Taking taking a deuce while Jules is eating his muffin and then Hank where he discovers who Walter White truly is inside Walt's bedroom bathroom when he finds that book that Gale gave him. I never realized how many Pulp Fiction references there were in the, in the show. There's so many more, too. They're only missing the dancing diner scene. Yeah, you're right. There's no there's no twist scene in Breaking Bad. There's got to be a $5 milkshake somewhere. There must there's got to be a milkshake somewhere. Maybe they don't say $5, but uh, But there are other great influences as well. But I watch this movie and I see Pulp Fiction everywhere. And specifically, you could even just say mostly the the Vincent Vega storyline and Mia Wallace storyline big time. He's absolutely right. <laughs> and also, like many many loved things like shows in, in some films that are like super successful, they ironically sometimes go through development hell and breaking bad went through a long turmoil turmoil a a crazy long period of the development process of vince gilligan struggling to find a studio that would green light it struggling to, to find a network that would agree to air it uh tnt was interested but they said that it was too graphic and they couldn't have a, a meth dealer as a character on their station because still a lot of young people watch their Doesn't station. does that channel I mean, at all. You can't you can't watch the NBA and then Breaking Bad after it. Yeah, I wonder it, does the NBA still have a contract with them? Who knows? But they did for a while. Yeah, maybe not anymore. Their viewership went down, but maybe will come back. But eventually, it got to AMC and AMC was the only network that really greenlit it, and they not only greenlit it, but they put a lot of it and money into it, and also became like partners with Gilligan in terms of the casting and the and the producing process and there was disagreement about who would be Walter White now Vince Gilligan he always wanted Bryan Cranston to play Walter White he wrote it for him specifically and I'll get to you get to why he did it in a minute but uh, the studio want the network wanted either Matthew Broderick or John Cusack so try to imagine Either one of them as Walter White. I don't think I either, see, of the, either of them can pull off Heisenberg. I, yeah, exactly. I can see Broderick doing Walter White no problem. But yeah, when it comes to Heisenberg, I don't know if he can go at that level. Either of them. Like, I couldn't imagine Matthew Broderick going villainous. Like I wouldn't even villain. watch a, a show with John Cusack. Neither of them have played villains yeah. for that reason. I think they're just, they're too, like, nice guy-ish looking. Like, if John Cusack tried to talk mean to me, I'd probably laugh at it. You know oh, I mean? you're a tough guy. Uh, I'm just kidding. I've been, I've been, I don't know if I've told you, but I, I work out. You shoulder press 55 <laughs> pound dumbbells. We all know this, Anthony. At the same time, that's on your that's on your uh, grinder profile, right? <laughs> <laughs> the first thing it says. <laughs> but um, anyways, and so the uh, network reached out to both those actors' agents, and they passed on the project. And then because those two actors passed, it allowed Gilligan to finally go to Brian Cranston because the studio didn't get their choices. And the reason why he wrote this for Brian Cranston and wanted him in the role was because they actually collaborated together in the 90s. Brian Cranston starred on an episode of The X-Files, which was called Drive, and it came out in 1998. And he played the villain of the episode. And Vince Gilligan wrote that episode. He was also, he helped produce that show for a few years, so he was involved in the process. And so while working with Brian Cranston and then seeing his performance on the finished episode, he was so impressed with Brian Cranston, that he always kept him in mind for this role. And then when he finally had Breaking Bad in pre production, he's like, Brian Cranston is my guy. X-Files was a classic. That was like one of the shows when we were very young. I think it was mom's favorite show, but the whole family would watch in the living room. Even us when we were like four years (laughs) old. It's pretty good. Spot on. (laughs) Show is a classic. It's great. And then also, um, who's the actor that plays Hank? I always forget his name. Dean Norris. Dean Norris. (laughs) He played a cop in an episode of X-Files. And then Aaron Paul um, had played a character in an episode of The X-Files as well. Did Anna Gunn play in The X-Files at all? <laughs> I don't think so. So I think Vince Gilligan had met all of these actors while working on the show, and maybe that's how they got their auditions for the show. And just building great relationships and networking, you know, I, I always keep this person in mind. And speaking of AMC... I don't know if any of my diamond holding apes are listening, but I've been hodling since February. Let's go to the moon, is baby! Diamond holding, diamond, diamond hodling apes, apes. So we're, we're <laughs> apes because we're so dumb that we're just putting all our money on these meme stocks like AMC and GameStop. But hey, we're all up a lot of percentage. But we're diamond hands. We don't we don't sell like floppy hand lettuce hand people. All right, diamonds only. <laughs> you with the big boys now, dude? It is a community. It's fantastic to be a part of. <laughs> there should be a Facebook group. But yeah, AMC they did a great job with their shows, and I, there are other shows they have like the Preachers really well-produced show as well i mean preacher not the preacher and also the the tech the computer one the i can't remember what was called it was like the uh ibm not ibm no. but <laughs> it's a <laughs> similar S- idea Scoot mcnary's yes yeah, and, I can't remember and what it's luke evans as well but um yeah amc did i think they just did a great job and uh, again fx is another network that's doing great shows cinematic shows but now obviously everyone's doing it but they started it. but for AMC, cable tv amc and fx really broke ground with what cable television could be yeah, but Breaking Bad, again, this is one of our favorite shows of all time, probably the, the number one. This ran from 2008 to 2013. There are 62 episodes total, and it was what, five seasons or six? Five seasons. Five. And seasons. they split the fifth season um into eight episodes that, were, that came out a year apart. Because yeah. remember, they started with eight episodes, and it was such an intense filming shoot. That they had to split it up, and then you had to wait a year for the next season. I think that's why in my head it feels like it was six seasons, because it kind of was. Because there was never a gap like that in any of the other seasons. But the cast is absurd in the show, because... They We all have come to love all these actors and actresses that are in the show, and we watched them for so long, and they've done so many more projects since 2013, but a lot of them, this was like their big break. I mean, Bryan Cranston, of course, we knew him from Malcolm in the Middle, but he never How? had that star-making role. Like He was in some movies, like he was in uh, Little Miss Sunshine and some other stuff, but... Walter White in Breaking Bad was really his star-making role. While he was filming Breaking Bad, he started doing other, like, big Hollywood films. He was, like, in – he was Shannon in Drive, which we just talked about on Monday, and some other big movies. And Argo, then, F Yourself. Yeah, Argo. Argo. Yeah, you're right. That was a great movie. Mm-hmm. He's in that. And then Aaron Paul, who plays Jesse Pinkman, he was fantastic in the show. Another star-making role. They both won so many awards. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the show and in general awards. won 16 Emmys total, I believe. Yeah, so 16 primetime Emmys total for I the think, show. I think – both Cranston and Aaron Paul won something like around five to six Emmys and Oscars. I mean Emmys and Globes, which yeah. is crazy. John Carlos Esposito, he won an Emmy two, I believe. For oh, the show. really? I think so. And he plays Gus Fring, who obviously he's been around for a long time. Like he was in Spike Lee's um what's it called? Do the Right, Do right the Thing. The right thing. But again, this was a star making role for him, even though he's been in the industry for so long. He's also in the usual usual suspects, yeah, you're which right. I just watched. He's the cop one of the cops who we first recognize as Kaiser Soze's name. But now he's a star. I mean yeah. he's the lead villain in the Mandalorian. And also the maze runner, so which is he, wild. big franchises. Um Anna Gunn as Skylar White. She's fantastic in this show. She's been in some films and productions ever since as well. Bob Odenkirk, obviously, as Saul. He got his own spinoff prequel because he's such a popular character. And Mr. Nobody. Jonathan Banks as Mike Ehrmantraut is fantastic. And then Betsy Brandt as Marie Schrader. And Dean Norris as Hank Schrader. He's, Dean Norris is kind of like John Collar where he's been in the industry for decades. Never really had that superstar-making role. Not that he's a superstar, but like a star-making role. Like he was in like Total Recall. He's in a, another Arnold mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger movie like T2. To, he's got... I believe in Total Recall he wears a ton of makeup. No, he's actually the woman with the three breasts. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not, That's not Dean Norris. <laughs> Dean Norris, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of Michael Chiklis. Yeah, kind in of. In The Shield. Kind of. Just, just not a dirty cop. Just a bald white guy. Chiklis is a dirty <laughs> as hell cop. But in addition to great actors and their careers being ignited from the show there's so many directors who came in to direct episodes of the show like ryan johnson did ozzy Manius, which is argu- arguably the best episode of the show don't say his name he ruined my <laughs> he child and- star wars <laughs> oh my god <sighs> but yeah ozzy mandius is probably the best show of television ever directed and then he also made fly which i think is a very underrated episode of breaking bad yeah it's a funny one once you get into what it's actually about but I mean, it's so it's about so much. It's about so much more than just killing a fly in a laboratory. What's the name of the actor who plays uh, Walt Junior? Oh, um, sorry, R.J. Mitty. yeah, R.J. Mitty. and he's he he did a great job, and he actually does for real life. He does have cerebral cerebral palsy, although it's not as bad as Walt Junior's case. Um, and it, he actually did have he had to he had to learn how to walk on crutches. And um, change his speech because he's not even close to his Jr. Well, juniors, but he's still—it's a struggle for an actor. I mean, imagine having some an ailment like that and trying to be an actor in Hollywood. So kudos to him for becoming a success story. And then all of you, oh, the, and then Bill Burr's in this show for a few episodes. <laughs> Lavelle Crawford, who plays, what Huel. he had hair, iconically though. Jesse Plemons. This is where I think I was introduced to him, like yeah. this as Todd, and then he was in The Master, and he's just blown up ever since. Yeah, Todd is a crazy character. We'll get into him later on. But yeah, this cast is amazing, and I love how Bill Burr was in this, and then he's also the Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> <It's so funny. laughs> I love Bill Burr so much. <laughs> he's our favorite comedian. But I guess the best way to start with the show is, well, we gotta warn you guys, there's so much to talk about with yeah, Breaking warning, Bad. Yeah, warning. Warning. We, we, we could make a seven-hour podcast on that. We just don't have time to do that. And I can't I can't edit a seven-hour episode, guys. We um. We want to <laughs> cover as much as we can. We'll, we'll try to cover everything we can think of and that you want us to talk about, but I'm sure we're going to accidentally leave some stuff out that maybe some episodes that you love or some things that happen in the show, but we're just going to go through the characters. We'll go through some of our favorite episodes and overarching storylines throughout the entire franchise because, again, you could do... A, a podcast episode on every episode of the show. It's yeah. so dense and so intricate and complicated and like, it's like Game of Thrones except I think even more complicated. That's why we never went super specific with our podcasts because then you'd run out of stuff to talk about if you just did a Breaking Bad podcast. Yeah, so you're right. We, we kept it as just movies and TV. Yeah, but the production value, one more thing I want to say in, in how they film the show and and do it is I also love how even though they stick to their overarching plots and scripts, they're not afraid to do episodes out of the ordinary, like I think the fly episode is very unusual, but I think when you understand the symbolism It's a standalone of it, thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, people, most people hate it because they're just in a lab killing a fly, but it's so much more than that. It's about like Walt's mental breakdown. It's about Heisenberg finally gaining full control over the body, you could say, with the duality of, of Walt and Heisenberg going on. But also things like Um, I love the the filming where they do the POV shot every single episode, whether it's inside a refrigerator, inside a a drawer, a dresser, or whether it's through a table, yeah, so like there's a fake glass. Mirror, like we're looking through the table, stuff like that. And And even I love the shot when Jesse um tries meth heroin for the first time, and he rises up from the bed. That's That's an iconic, amazing, amazing shot. Yeah, lots of great stuff like that. That's something you never see on network TV. And also like Pulp Fiction and Tarantino, Gilligan and the screenwriter and the story writers, they are not afraid to like bounce back and forth through time and telling stories out of chronological order. And also like that Heisenberg music video it was super funny and that opened an episode and just seeing stuff like that is like they're having fun with it like that we were cracking up watching that It was great yeah but also i really enjoy how the writers were able to adapt to how the show's seasons were going because usually they would start with a couple scripts but then they would change things going on like the pink teddy bear that season they had no idea like where it was going to come from they had the idea of like this pink teddy bear in the pool around walt But where you got to figure out where it's gonna come from, and And they all—I'm sorry—and then they worked on the plane crash, and they also they weren't planning out character plot lines far in advance. Like every major character was not supposed to have a long-standing role in the series. Like Jesse Pinkman, he was supposed to be dead by episode nine. Gus was only supposed to be in three episodes. Yeah. Mike was only supposed to be in a couple of episodes, and. I think that they were... I bet Saul was supposed to have last two. Saul was supposed to be in a few as well. He's such a loved character. Yeah. I think that as the filmmakers were producing the show and getting responses from the fans, I think they were keeping an eye on, if this works, we're going to keep them in it and just keep bringing them into the story. Let's not stick to a structure of what... Let's not plan too far in advance because it will restrict us in terms of the storytelling. So let's just see how it goes. Play it by ear. And, I mean, Aaron Paul's character... If he's not in the show for the five seasons, it doesn't work as well at all. Yeah, if he's not a, a counter to Heisenberg and Walter the entire yeah. show, then it doesn't work as well. And then Gus ends up becoming an unbelievable villain rather than just a connection that they made for three episodes. That's what I mean. I, I love the way Gilligan and the showrunners weren't afraid to just trust their gut on things that were going on. It's kind of like managing like a... Like a team, or like a, a, a baseball team, a football team, or any kind of team, a business team. Just... I manage. I manage a baseball team. Fantasy oh, like L- little league. Uh, fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's Step, Step brothers. brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, <laughs> Riley. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into characters, and obviously, we have to start with Walter White, aka Heisenberg, played by the great Bryan Cranston, who is this normal man, this everyday science teacher man. Who gets turned into an anti-hero when he gets diagnosed with cancer. And he and his family already have don't have a lot of money. And he's working two jobs as a science teacher at a car wash just to pay their bills. And then we start to empathize with him as he needs to get some sort of cash flow. Because he gets diagnosed with cancer. He's got six months to live. He has to figure out a way to get a large amount of cash to help his family survive once he's gone by paying the bills. And we go from empathizing with why he's doing that with cooking meth with Jesse and selling it. But then he turns into a straight-up villain, killer, kingpin, drug lord, who you can't empathize with really anymore. Who does horrible, evil things. Yeah, Vince Gilligan, his idea for this character was to take a high school teacher and then to turn him into Scarface—not just you know a drug dealer, but a giant villain, drug lord. You know, a killer, a ruthless man, and that's what Walt becomes. And even though he does horrible things throughout the entire series, you st- you still stick with him. And you still... Under- Actually, you're right. I want to take back what I said in terms of you don't empathize yeah. with him because yeah. you still empathize with yeah. him. That's why he's great. Yeah, exactly. In part because Brian Cranston plays it so well. And also the writing is really excellent. And he does things that... He does good things and then he does bad things. He's not all bad. And, but as he gets corrupted and as the story unfolds, that the evil side the evil nature ends up taking over heisenberg begins taking over and he does end up becoming just a straight-up villain you could say but it's one of the greatest descents of villainy you ever put on tv or film it's an unbelievable story and walter white is why the show is what it is and there's so much depth to the character not only the dual personality of walter becoming heisenberg but he has a lot of strengths and weaknesses and for strengths walt is a straight-up genius not with just chemistry but his his engineering, mathematics, creativity, ingenuity—he's always getting out of these intense situations. Like it's either it's like a combination of ingenuity and genius mixed with extreme luck. And then when it comes to weaknesses, he has immense pride, which is probably, in my opinion, his biggest weakness. Um, he has a temper. And he's a master manipulator, which is a strength for his Heisenberg sign, but it's a weakness for him being Walter White because it pushes people away constantly. Yeah, I mean he he is a horrible manipulator in terms of especially, I mean not with Skyler manipulating her in, in the first few seasons, and then you know with, with Jesse for the entire series, like whether it be him pretending that he didn't poison Brock, and then putting the Ryzen cigarette in his in his Roomba to make it seem like Jesse accidentally vacuumed the Ryzen to the fake Ryzen. To, to turn him against Gus. And also, like, for like, forcing Jesse to cook at a certain point and then firing Jesse like you're out. And always, you know, doing terrible things to control the people in his world, in his, in his orbit. And he ends up becoming truly an unbelievably masterful manipulator of people to get them to do what he wants. Yeah, and he never really takes into consideration the collateral the damage that he has on the people around him, whether it be even the drug people, even those guys, even Gus, how he he kills Gus. he kills so many people but the collateral damage on Jesse who's constantly paying for Walt's actions and choices Jesse's constantly taking a beating in this show every every season he's probably the one who suffers the most out of everyone it's like him and Skyler probably but also the collateral damage of the innocent lives who get killed i mean people like um Brock's Brock's mother wouldn't get shot you know um Je- and then Jesse the Andrea's son doesn't wouldn't get shot if it wasn't for Jesse coming into herself. Because Gail doesn't get shot i mean Jane doesn't um, die die from an overdose by Walt letting her die from an overdose. And then that plane isn't crashed by her father, who's stressed out at the job and is grieving for his daughter. And 176 innocent people die from that. So I think it's 201 people total die because of Walter White. And what's great about the show is within the first two episodes, Gilligan. I almost said Villigan. (laughs) Gilligan geniusly shows us the entire character of Walter White. Where we get all the, we get the strengths, but we also get the weaknesses. And he also turns into, he, he does kill two people like, out of self defense, basically in the first two episodes. But he still kills two people. Yeah, and he still has to disintegrate his bodies with with Jesse. It's pretty messed up stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and he's still cooking meth. He's still selling drugs. Yeah. So, but he he's also, his other major weakness, is, his. The lie that he believes the lie that he believes is that if i get enough money it'll solve all my problems and if i get enough money it'll save my family and he's at first you can understand his motivation and why he pursues jesse why he starts cooking and why he starts trying to make as much money as possible because he his life is ending soon he has a ticking clock and he wants to be able to provide for his family you understand that to steal would you steal a loaf of bread for your family yeah exactly and then but then it turns into this thing where he's just making money just to make money and he's making so much money and even Skylar when she shows him the giant pile of money, she's like, Is this how much is enough? Like is this when's this gonna stop? Like how when are you gonna be satisfied? And his his biggest flaw was thinking that as long as I got money, then my family would love me and all my problems would be okay. But ironically, everything is destroyed and ruined by his pursuit of money. Like if he had not gone into the business and if he maybe gray matter he could have gotten that job as well to get that life and that health insurance you know everything could have worked out he probably still wouldn't have been happy or fulfilled but his family would still be intact and he would still be a father and a husband and so the idea that the money would solve his problems was not the solution he needed to be a father and a husband and a provider and that was his that was what he should have been focused on. Yeah, so I would say that's ignorance rather than rather than being a good man, good father, good good husband, good brother-in-law and everything. He thinks that just being a financial provider, not any other kind of providing, just financial security for his family is all he has to do and he'll do it by illegal means. But I would say that Walter's biggest weakness is his pride and it comes into play all over, this, all over the franchise, all over the series. But I think the the two biggest points of pride that sh- are shown to us, I think, are obviously with Grey Matter, where Elliot and Gretchen, who are, were his co-founders of Grey Matter years before, and he sold his shares to them before they were very successful because of that love triangle that they had going on. He wanted to just get out of it and get away from Gretchen and, and Elliot. Um they, Elliot, obviously knows about his diagnosis and he offers Walt a job at Grey Matter, like you said, would get him excellent health insurance. I think the best you could possibly have in America, as well as a, a great bump in salary because he's still a science teacher. and He's working at a car wash part time just to barely get by and still stay in debt. And so rather than take this legal out, this situation that would greatly benefit my family because not only will my medical bills be paid for, I'll be able to get some sort of savings for my family for once I'm gone. And maybe we can even start up a fund for Walt life Jr. insurance. Life insurance. Yeah. Walt Junior going to college and, and everything like that. And I have another. And then we have another daughter later on coming on the way too. But I don't think he knows about that at, at that point. No, Um too early. So instead of taking that offer, which you know from Elliot, whatever your feelings are of Elliot and Gretchen, if you just put it behind you, put it in the past. It's been like twenty years. Let it go. You don't have to worry about it. You're, problem you're set, solved. C- problem solved. Instead, he turns it down and thinks, "I'm going to make my own money. I'm going to." build something as big as gray matter or just as equal to gray matter because i missed out on my genius you know i have a lot to offer and i've just been stuck in this hole in this house in this science teacher job and i need to show the world what i can do so he wants to be the guy he, yeah he wants to be what he could have been he wants to live up to his potential because his potential is virtually limitless because of how much of a genius he is but then he's enticed to sell drugs and he's enticed to make meth once he goes on hanks ride along after he finds out how much cash these meth dealers make and so that's where he hooks up with jesse and then i think the other another major point of his immense pride is when the episode it's an episode that gilligan directed and we go back to when walt and skyler are buying their house and it's after he's left gray matter and the house and i mean skyler obviously says this is too much like we can't afford this it's too big for us it's not our budget but Walt's like we should be thinking big this guy's the limit for us. We can, we can, we're gonna do anything. We're gonna be very successful. I'm gonna be very successful. We're gonna be fine. We can afford whatever we want, basically. So, because of his pride in that situation, that's what gets him in the financial rut for the rest of his life, up, up until he starts selling meth. Because then he has to work two jobs just to pay for this mortgage for this house that they can't afford. So yeah. th- those are two situations that could have been solved if he just swallowed his pride. Yeah, and also he makes so many choices later in the series because of his pride that affect everyone else and destroy eventually his entire life because he ultimately, he did it all for himself. He did the whole thing for himself because that final conversation he has with Skylar, he says, at first I was doing it um, to to make the money for you, but then... Well, And he's constantly telling her, it's everything I do, it's for the family, yeah. it's for the family. Exactly, but then in that final discussion, he tells her, but then I was doing it for me he wanted to be Heisenberg he wanted to be the top dog once he started getting tastes of power it made him want more and once i think also when he saw how the incredible reaction to the meth that he made how it had never been no one had ever seen quality that that high before how how the purity of it was just unbelievable and that's what set him apart from everyone else the the special nature to his abilities with chemistry and science also motivated him as well but Ultimately, Walter was always driven by, you know, the inferiority complex of never fulfilling his potential, of missing out on gray matter, and that is what motivates him to want to do everything. You know, what I mean, to want to build an empire, to want to become as successful as Elliot. Exactly, it's a yeah. chip on his shoulder that never goes away. That that thing that the mistake he made, he's so filled with regret from the choice of his past that it drives everything going forward and there's a great line i can't remember what season it was where he's talking about gray matter to somebody and he's like you know how much it's worth now 2.1 billion dollars i check every week so it's always been on his mind he's constantly been thinking about gray matter for decades and now he has a finally has an opportunity to maybe i can do something about it maybe i can make something as equal to gray matter in terms of uh, the greatness of my craft of chemistry or genius, and yeah. I also think he gets off on being a kin- kingpin and being a drug lord and the horrible things he does. He seems like it seems like the reactions he has are, are bad to it. Like when, when he kills Mike, he's, he's like seems like he didn't want to kill him. But like you, you hit his gun from him and you took it and then you shot him like you obviously wanted to kill him. But I think he always is just so shocked when he does things like that, but later on he starts to enjoy it in a way internally, if that makes sense. Say my name. (laughs) You're goddamn right. (laughs) But, well, it's just a fascinating character, but Before we continue, if you've been watching on YouTube or social media, you may have noticed that Anthony and I have some brand spanking new laptops courtesy of LG. These are the 17-inch LG Gram Ultra Lightweight Laptops. The cool thing about them is they're 16 by 10 aspect ratio, which means more vertical space versus 16.9, which is more of a rectangle. Better for us for editing and referring to our notes while we're filming. Also, the displays on these are absolutely exceptional. Anthony watches movies in his bedroom every night on them. Uh, every night, I literally. I can attest to that. That's what I do. <laughs> it is true. Not to mention they're shockingly light. We'll put links to the LG Gram 16-inch and 17-inch models in our YouTube video bio. Thank you, LG, for sponsoring the show for the rest of the year and for these fantastic laptops. We also have another sponsor. For all you writers or fans of screenwriting who want to get into screenwriting, We have a new sponsorship with Arc Studio Pro, the most efficient, streamlined, and elegant screenwriting software on the market. They have teamed up with us to offer a very special promo deal. Get $30 off your membership if you follow the link in this YouTube video. Arc Studio provides users with perfect formatting when writing a script, which is so important for when other people are reading your screenplay. It has to look correct. They have this amazing feature called a plot board, which allows you to easily organize your plot points and acts with with this amazing digital drag and drop system. Now, there are two versions of Arc Studio Pro. There's the free version. All it has is the ability to write and save documents. That's it. Now, the premium version comes with a ton of perks like apps for your desktop or phone, online collaboration with with other writers so it's like using Google Documents with a friend, super helpful outlining tools, revisionist management, and links to feedback. Now, the premium version only costs $99 per year. Now, if you use our special link, it gets $30 off the price, which is super affordable for an entire year of this program. I couldn't recommend it enough. So, again, follow the link in this YouTube video, head on over to Arc Studio Pro, and start writing today. Now, I don't want this to be just the Walter White Heisenberg show, so we'll obviously get back to Walter in a little bit. But I'd love to talk about Jesse Pinkman now, if that's cool with you. All right, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, yo, Mr. White. Yes, Magnet science! Yes, science! <laughs> <laughs> Fan favorite, obviously. Big time. Aaron Paul was absolutely sensational in this. He came out of nowhere. I um have you ever seen his audition tape? Yeah. It's really cool yeah, to see him auditioning and it's like, oh my god, that's Jesse Pinkman. He was perfect for for the role. And like I said earlier, he was originally only supposed to be in the first season. He was supposed to be written out and killed off by episode nine. But once Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston started working together, the collaboration between the two of them, the dynamic chemistry they had and also how important Jesse became in the story. It caused them to be like, we can't get rid of this guy. And then he became the most important character besides Walter. I, mean, I love how they seem to be like best friends outside In of life. the show yeah. too. They're, Have they- you seen the, like the Sweet 16 party? Yeah, where, where, the, <laughs> where, the, the, where they, they oh, the one on SNL, right? So there's two yeah. they did uh, where Brian Cranston shows up to his party and Aaron Paul is wearing the same outfit him. It's Brian Cranston's it, Sweet 16. Yeah, and he's like, Ch- change, go home and change. Aaron Paul's like, you want me to change? He's like, yes, this is my day. <laughs> and and then, then he gets his dad. Yeah, and he calls his dad over to tell him to change. It's so funny. It's like a nine-year-old man walking this is very slowly. Sweet sixteen. <laughs> but also, I love the the images like for all their the shows parties. Like they did costume parties and they yeah. would swap outfits. Like mm. I love the one where Walter is Jesse and then Jesse. I mean Brian's Jesse and then Aaron Paul is Walter White. Yeah. And then there's one where Brian Cranston is uh as T as T. Salamanca. Yeah. Which is great. Brian Cranston even went to Comic Con one year wearing a Walter White mask. Yeah. And he walked around and no one knew it was him. It's like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. Exactly, He also went as uh, Skyler one time. (laughs) Those those photos are pretty funny. But I love Jesse Pinkman's character. He's so interesting. He's magnetic on camera. He really is. He might be the most explosive, I think, actor on the show. Although uh, Brian Cranston, it's some of the best acting you'll ever see in general. But I think Aaron Paul does a phenomenal job. And Jesse's this like childlike, he's a very childish kid like adult. He's, the way he dresses, the way he talks, he talks like a teenager. He's like talks like a punk in high school. He's like the black sheep of his family. He's the screw-up. He's the oldest of him, and his, he's just got one younger brother, I believe. But ironically, his younger brother really looks up to him, but Aaron, Jesse doesn't really know that at the time. And he doesn't really have a family anymore because they've kind of pushed him away. They don't really want him coming around that much anymore. They don't want him to influence their perfect son in any other way, even though their perfect son isn't that perfect that we learn about later on. But Jesse, he's constantly paying for the actions of Walt. He's constantly getting his head beat in. He's constantly suffering. The people around him die, and he loses everything, everything in the show. I would say that Jesse definitely suffers the most, and Skyler for sure suffers a lot, but Skylar doesn't sh- see people he lo- she loves die in front of her multiple times. Like, Jesse goes through so much turmoil, oftentimes because of Walt an, or as a consequence of Walt's actions. And also he is he i mean he has to kill gail point blank with a gun execution style because walt makes him do it walt makes him do terrible things and you know he goes really through the ringer in this whether it be watching the woman he dies watching i mean seeing jane dead in bed next to her next to him and or watching brock's and, mother get killed andrea andrea thank you and and then eventually becoming a, a, a basically a a cooking slave for the aryan brotherhood by the the last season it he goes through so much, and he's the only character who really deserved to get out clean. I think. Yeah. He, and it, I'm so glad he did by the end. Like when he drives through that fence and he's just driving away, and he is like kind of resurrected in a way. It's an amazing moment of the series. And Aaron Paul steals every scene he's in. I love that word you use, resurrected, because I I watched this great video and I've read a few articles. On, you can read <laughs> on Jesse Pinkman talking about how he's this Christ-like figure in the show and. This video by The Take points out so many great instances in the show where he's references basically to Jesus. Obviously, Jesse, you could say, is a reference to Jesus, the name itself. But also, like we said, the the constant suffering he's taking for his father in a way. So you could say that Walter and him have this father-son relationship, which is constantly up and down and full of manipulation by Walt. But they do have father-son moments. I mean, Walt calls him son like a handful of times throughout the show. But and, he, and we learn in El Camino that Walt did actually care about him. They have that scene in the diner where he's like, so so what are you doing? Are you th- what about going back to college? You should go back to college. You should try to try to d- plan your life out. So, like, Walt clearly cares about him. And but he tried to get him to stop doing drugs, like yeah. the heroin scenes. But also Walt let Jane yeah. die, which was you could argue his first fully evil act. Like, he kills those two people out of self-defense. But in terms of, in terms of evil acts by letting Jane die. Yeah. Because... Yes, they are heroin addicts, and yes, they have all this cash. They're trying to blackmail Walt. Yes, Jesse was supposed to make this first drop-off with Gus Fring. It's their first big deal with Gus. If it goes wrong, they're both dead. And so Walt has to come real quick and save the day and save the situation, lets Jane die. But if he doesn't let Jane die, if he saves her... It could be a wake-up call for them. They could get clean. I mean, maybe they don't move to New Zealand and become artists, but maybe it could be a wake-up call for her and Jesse to clean themselves up. But know? maybe well, Jesse never would have gotten clean because then Mike wouldn't have showed up to fix the scene and then end up taking him to the – um, what do you call it? The s- sober place where you get sober. Oh, um, uh, uh, why can't I think I of that. I can't. Oh, sorry. Rehab, f- brain, re- rehab. Rehab. Thank you. Brain <laughs> fart. Sorry, twin, guys. Twin brain fart. Brain fart. <laughs> we always have the same brain fart. Yeah. We woke up at 5 a.m. today. 4.30. <laughs> <laughs> So then Mike would have never cleaned up Jesse. So maybe they never would have gotten clean if that didn't happen. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But also Walt, he killed, uh, kills those two drug dealers in season one as a way of keeping Jesse from having to kill them as a way of protecting him. Exactly. So he's constantly protecting Jesse from kin- – you could say that if Walt is this godlike figure, he knows that the worst sin you could commit is murder. So he's protecting his son from murder, but then he makes him kill Gale and become a murderer. Yeah, exactly. And He also – Jesse – goes through the ringer with Walt for sure like Walt fires him basically when he, things are working out well with Gus at the lab uh, Cranston I mean <laughs> Walt is like <laughs> Walt is like you're out you're fired because he doesn't need him anymore he's got Gale and then he ends up seeing like oh Gale is going to be my problem now so then Jesse gets back in it but so Walt is always going up and down it's such a rocky relationship the ups and downs of this of either you know trying to be fatherly and protective to to being like a a totalitarian dictator in his in his life and forcing him to do to do things he doesn't want to do and also like like I said earlier ma- manipulating him with the Ryzen and stuff like that yeah. really terrible relationship yeah and Jesse is, he's just made the bad choices in life it's not like he I don't think he's a dumb person I think he's an intelligent guy he has those he has a ton of moments throughout the show where he figures stuff out to get them out of situations isn't he the one that comes up with the magnetic yeah. idea obviously Walt is like we need to get a really big one but he's like why are you like it's a magnet and like do that with like a VCR so he comes up with stuff like that so he has an ingen- ingenuity quality to him like Walt but not on the level of Walt because because him and Walt's relationship is gets extremely deteriorated throughout the show, you know, where once they're hooked up with Gus, Jesse and Gus are kind of forming their own kind of relationship outside of Walt because Gus, I mean, Walt, Gus is trying to take out Walt at some point. So he's trying to work with Jesse to become his main cook. He knows Walt is dangerous. Yeah. You know what I mean? Walt, Gus is not a dumb guy. And so, um, oh, I just lost my train. Sorry, it's sorry, all pal. good. But um, there's also another great moment while they're cooking in the labs. Where Walt refuses to work with Gale, and he wants Jesse back, and he he only wants to cook with Jesse. This is a moment where you know he's protecting Jesse and getting him involved because and because he trusts Jesse. You know, what I mean, he he really does care about him, and he he doesn't want to work with anyone else. But then also he makes him kill kill Gale a few seasons a few episodes after that. Yeah, because that's when. Gus decides to have Gale basically spy completely on Walt's methods on cooking the meth so that he can figure out the entire recipe for Walt's style of methamphetamine to get the purity to where Walt gets it and also the blue color. And then that's when Walt figures out what Gus is doing with Gale. And that's when Walt gets kidnapped by Gus's people. He's on the phone with Jesse. He's like... They're going to kill me if you don't kill Gale. So you have to kill Gale to save me, which is a horrible... I mean, it's like, yeah, it's all of self-preservation. You could say for Walt, it's self-defense. But really, it's it's a terrible thing to make Jesse become a murderer like him. Exactly. And, you know, Jesse, for when he kills, you can tell the difference between him and Walt when they both kill people. Because Walt, I mean, that first kill in the basement, that the, well, the first kill in the RV doesn't count as self-defense. Like, he, like, threw the poison in the air... I mean, he made the chemical reaction, then ran out of there. You know, he's, he's saving his own life. And then the second kill in the basement, uh, self-defense, because um, I can't remember his name. He had the, the piece of the plate, and he had to kill him for him saving his own life. But then killing the drug dealers, he did that. It was, seemed to be, like, no problem at all. He's like, run. But then also, whenever he has to kill people in the future, he has no problem with it, really, unless it's someone like Mike, you know what I mean? But with Jesse, whenever he's forced to in a situation like that and he has to kill— it deeply affects him and he is not a killer he's not supposed to be a killer and he's now mixed up because of walt in these situations where he doesn't belong and the irony is jesse doesn't belong in the drum game like you could say like when they first hook up, Jesse seems like, oh, he's a drug dealer. He This is what he likes to do. He fits in, but he really doesn't. He's not very good at he's it. He's just a punk. Whereas Walt, even though he's a science teacher, he was made for the drug game. He's meant to do this thing. He's he's the one that kind of has no fear in those situations. Again, he has the ingenuity and like the, the factor where he can get out of their situations, which causes, again, they they have the turmoil throughout their, the show, and they start to go on the offense, and they, they, they become enemies towards the final season. And I love that, that scene where jesse's about to burn down walt's house then hank busts in last second convinces him to not do it he can't keep getting away with this. exactly jesse's like he just can't stop he can't keep getting away with it because walt it's like tom ripley gets away with everything he does no matter how bad it is he still figures out a way Himself to get out of it or out of straight luck. And then the fifth season is great because he teams up with Hank and he's like, we can stop him. We got to get through this. And, you know, you want him you, got, you you, want him to win at some point. You want him to defeat Walt eventually because of how much he's put him through as a way of, like, succeeding over Walt by the end of the series. Yeah. And one of my favorite scenes in general, I think, is between Walt, Jesse, and Skyler. <laughs> like, I think it's season five where... This is where their relationship is just gone. Their marriage is over. And it's after she's had that affair. And yes. Jesse's just, like, sitting in between them like that kid, like, should I be here? It's it's so funny. It's Did great. you tell him about our affair? <laughs> <laughs> because Skylar, besides Jesse, is probably the next on the list of who suffers the most and who suffers the most collateral damage. She doesn't lose her life like a lot of other characters, but emotional suffering. And she loses her husband. Basically, yeah. yeah, she loses her husband. You're right. And she's also becomes a prisoner. To Walt, she's not her wife. She's her, what'd she say? I'm not your wife. I'm your, yeah, I think I'm your prisoner. Something like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And it's too bad because she's a great wife. You can tell she's a great mother. She's a hard worker. She just wants what's best for her family. And she she truly loves Walt. They still love each other very much. But Walt, throughout the show, each episode more and more, he begins to lie to her more and it destroys her relationship. Because if anything destroys her relationship, it's lies. Mm. And even though he finally confesses to having cancer... He uses that as an excuse to manipulate her and use it as an excuse for his constant behavior. And so he's always lying about, yeah, he's getting cancer treatment and chemo, and he's doing these odd things like he's walking in this grocery store butt naked. But it's all its all a cover. He's, he's taking advantage of his cancer to manipulate his wife constantly throughout the show and other characters. And you could say that he had everything he needed. And yes, the cancer diagnosis was a catalyst to this all, but... You, you can tell he was not happy in his life and he, he didn't feel like he had enough he didn't feel fulfilled even though he had you know a wife who loved him and a great son who loved him as well to him it still wasn't enough and he it was that's also his one of his biggest weaknesses of never being fulfilled in his life and never realizing how much he had and that's what also drove him to into this motivation is because like you no know, even though even if he got cured and got worked at gray matter and in everything was fine and worked out, he still wouldn't have been happy because he's not happy in that first season before he gets the diagnosis. Yeah. And to stay on Skylar for a little bit, I think Anna Gunn does a terrific job in the show. She's so good as Skylar. And Skylar's character, again, a lot of emotional damage from Walt and especially towards, the, I think the last scene that she's in with Walt, terrific acting. It's really emotional. You can really see how she's basically a shell of herself. She doesn't even seem human anymore. She's kind of like a zombie. Her family's destroyed. She's lost everything. She's lost everything her reputation with her son and her family is dead forever her brother-in-law's dead she's under investigation yeah, yeah. She, it's everything's over she's yeah. living in this crappy little apartment ho- or it looks like an apartment with her son and no one, and she doesn't even want to talk to him anymore and he just shows up yeah and also after she discovers that Hank is dead in the Ozymandias episode she breaks down in front of the house and it's a really great acting it's really really excellent some of the best of the entire series and skylar at some like once she finds out about the meth and she she decides that she wants to try to take power back in the relationship somehow that's when she has that affair with her boss which he turns into a stage five clinger real quick (laughs) but um but their relationship goes up up and down, and they have, like, their kind of new honeymoon phase after they're making the money, and she's part of the situation now. She's the one who comes up with the idea where once they talk to Saul Goodman, they have to figure out how to launder your money. You can have all this cash, but what the hell are you going to do with it? Like, the IRS is going to figure out what you're doing, or you're going to be investigated by somebody. Didn't I tell you not to buy anything didn't I tell you not to buy anything? <laughs> Look, check it. It's a brand new Cadillac. It's beautiful. I love that. I love car. that car. Love that car. <laughs> let us know in the comments if you know what movie that is. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's Walt act- Walt's well, actions. Oh, she's the one. Did I say she's the one who comes up with the car wash yeah. For laundering? Yeah. And it's Walt's actions that cause her to. Have the affair with the with her boss, and then also to give the boss all of Walt's money when he finds under the floorboards all of his money's gone. And he has that maniacal laugh, like he's look on insane. Yeah, it's in it's because of his own actions and the way he treats Skylar. Yeah, I think because Skyler Walt just strips her of her being and all the power in their fa- in their marriage. That those are ways of her to try to get some power back in the relationship, which is futile in the end. I think it's time to get over into our intermission. What oh yeah, think? let's do our intermission. Yeah, we We've been cruising, cruising. Yeah. but let's do our. Inter- <laughs> We're fifty minutes in almost. Yeah, let's do our intermission. Yeah, still our, still our, so much our more fans to talk are probably about. like, "Where's the intermission?" So I don't know. I think they're enjoying. Yeah, bad. yeah, we'll do the intermission, then we'll finish off the rest of the cast. All right, and we'll begin with our movie quote competition. This is a fan's entry for us from Adam Beardsley. If you're relying on testimony to win this case, you've already lost it, fella. So it's a courtroom movie. Say it again. I don't know why you would think that. I mean, <laughs> if you're relying on testimony to win this case, you've already lost it, fella. Um, a Few Good Men. Runaway Jury. Oh, Dustin Runaway Hoffman. Jury. And then we have one from Damon Heinzman. This one's easy, but it's so good. You mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Tom Hardy and Inception. That's right. I I have a fan one as well from Dylan Russell. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game. We never got to finish Play for Blood, remember? It's, it's got to be a Western. Um, Could be a rom-com. You never know. <laughs> it's got to be Western. Western. Uh, it's not Unforgiven. It's not 310. I don't know. Dark Holiday and Tombstone. Oh, Tombstone, yeah. yeah. Bill Comer. Good one. That's a great one. Great one, Dylan. Dylan. All right. Dylan. All right. Guess this movie release year. Before... I didn't do my quote. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, pal. Slow down. I'm Slow so, your so... roll. I'm really sorry. I was too excited. Okay. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Oh, that's that's pretty easy. That was actually just submitted by, I think Damon Heinzman se- submitted that as well. Oh, it. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched it last night, so it's all good. What uh, is it? It's um Kaiser Soze yeah. in The Usual Suspects. That's right. You almost blanked It looked like you were like No I didn't almost blank It's just We woke up at 430 today You basically got it wrong How <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna fight you dude Alright can I do the re- movie release here? Is it okay with you Affirmative Affirmative <laughs> Affirmative What a dork over here Alright What year Did before Sunrise come out 2004 1995. Oh man. Oh, <laughs> I was one. thinking the sequel. I think that's the worst. No, the guess. sequel is 04. The worst guest of all time. I didn't say the sequel to Before Sunrise. <laughs> no, I was thinking the sequel Before Sunset. Yeah, that's pretty bad. You're pretty bad. Nine years off. <laughs> oh, it's embarrassing. You should just quit. Just quit. <laughs> Leave. Who wants my job? Uh, the the Pharaoh structure structure on your desk probably do a better job. <laughs> just put a microphone in front of his face. <laughs> your new co-host. <laughs> <laughs> it's more interesting. <laughs> all right here's my movie release here rosemary's baby oh i love this movie roman polanski let's see how much you love it prove it this is the 60s this is 1968 yeah nah yeah you did it told you i love that movie mother effer you got it you guys have never seen rosemary's baby it's one of the best horror movies ever made the suspense in it is intense. It is quite suspenseful. All right, uh, movie pop quiz time. I think you already, you, yeah, you, you're gonna get this right away. What was Brian Cranston's character's name in Malcolm in the Middle? Hal. Yeah, you said it earlier. Yeah. I was like, when you said it, I'm like, oh damn it, <laughs> he knows it. <laughs> okay, here's my quiz question. Well, how about who's the lead character of that show? The actor? Um, Frankie Muniz. Nice, thanks. What character did you play? <laughs> Reginald? <laughs> no, Malcolm. <laughs> people could be like wow he's an idiot <laughs> okay here's my quiz question what song did Bruce Springsteen win his Oscar for what song did he win an Oscar for did he do any of the music for the original Star is Born no that was the funny. only hint that I will give you is no to that <laughs> <laughs> you have a crazy alfalfa you might want to fix that oh, I'll fix that alfalfa <laughs> <laughs> Oh, some people like alfalfas. You like the you like the kid from that from that kids movie. My hair's getting long. I'm at that stage where I should probably cut it, but also yeah, it's kind of should. fun. But it's kind of annoying. Um, Bruce Springsteen song that he won an Oscar for. Um, I don't know. The Streets of Philadelphia uh, for Philadelphia. That's a great movie. It's a great, great. I movie. saw that for the first time like a like two months ago. It's incredible. Jonathan Demi, Tom Hanks is so good in that movie. Yeah. So is Denzel. Denzel's awesome. Jonathan Demi also directed the music video as well. That's a really interesting fact. Thanks for sharing that with us. Who's our hater of the week? We got a few. So, I posted a video on seven, and Newtustad commented, "Brad Pitt, horrible person, good actor." It's like, What's that <laughs> what? Even mean? What? What do you mean? Horrible person. Seems like a good guy. Do you know him in real life? Jesus Christ! All right, and also, on an epi- on a post of I posted a video of John Krasinski cast Killian Murphy in Quiet Place Part 2 because he binge watched Peaky Blinders and loved Killian's performance as Tommy F. and Shelby and so Magnus O'Reilly wrote oh my god he saw an actor acting then gave him an acting job no effing way it's like bro enough with the sarcasm we don't need that here I just said I replied get out of here it's a fun fact yeah jeez Louise man I'm sorry I ruined your life with a little fact video that you did not have to watch didn't have to watch it at get all. off your phone man get out, yeah. get out of go, here go get some air yeah man Man. Clearly, you're not mad at me. It's someone else, and you're projecting onto He's, me. He's an unhappy person. Yeah, I understand. very unhappy. And then we have a few uh, unsubscribers that I get a, I get a shout out. <laughs> we had some funny ones, so. B 95 in our 1999 episode commented, you call yourselves movie fans and you called Sonny from Big Daddy Buddy. Ah. Unbelievable. I I unsubscribed. Remember, I remember when we were doing that episode and we kept saying Buddy in my head. Yeah. I'm like, is his name even Buddy? Dad, we were thinking Elf, I think. I don't know why. I yeah. I knew it was like one of those nickname sounding names. With two consonants and then a Y. Sonny yeah. Buddy. like, uh. Hey, it rhymed. But yeah, we were way off. <laughs> and then Nick Mattel in the same episode commented, yes, yes, and yes, please more episodes like this one. If not, unsubscribe. <laughs> and then... On that episode as well, Andy Kaufman is the comedic legend. You couldn't remember his name. We couldn't picture it. I couldn't remember his oh, name. Oh, from Man on the Moon. Man on the Moon, yeah. Unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we effed up a couple times. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and then um, also Marv, 86 Marv, just finished an episode. and can't believe you guys didn't talk about the movie Life in 1999, starring Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence, when I know... Anthony used to watch it a ton when he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Unsubscribed. <laughs> At least it shows you that the show's not scripted like some people think. <laughs> yeah, some people think not. like, well, your show is scripted and you still get stuff wrong. It's like even if, if you script something, you don't want to sound like an idiot, which we do oftentimes yeah. sound like <laughs> although we do make a lot of great points, but yeah. All right. 50 50. Let's, let's do our top supporters this week. We have two Excellent five star reviews. One's from Thunder OKC. Great fun film podcast. I love those three adjectives great fun film. Best one out there. I could sound redundant and say how these guys are great and funny and have great depth, in depth conversations about film, but I won't. I could say they're not pretentious and uppity like so many other movie podcasts, but I won't. I will say this podcast is a lot of fun. I learned, about a, I learned a lot about a subject that I've always been interested in. Thanks for the content, guys. P.S. Your Harry Potter episodes caused me to want to read the books. I read a few as a kid, but now I'm going to read them all. I'm currently on the fifth book and loving it. That's one of the best ones for yeah, sure. Yeah, the longest one. Because of this, I have no time for movies, so unsubscribe. <laughs> Sorry, pal, but thanks so much for the review. Thank and you for that. tuning in. And then from Lynn Love. You guys are amazing. Love this podcast. I work nights, and your episodes get me through my work shifts. Thank you for the great entertainment. You are very welcome. Thanks for the five-star review. That's so sweet to say. Thank you. On this day in film history, today is September 30th. In 1955, James Dean was killed in a car crash at age 24. In 1960, the Flintstones premiered, and it's Marion Cotillard and Ezra Miller's birthday. I love Marion Cotillard. She's one of my favorite actors. Yeah, she's She's tremendous. Andrew's awesome. Do you have a streaming recommendation? I recommend you check out Crash on Amazon Prime Video. This was directed by Steven Soderbergh. Came out in '04. Won the Best Picture, Best Director, and also Best Supporting Actor for Bernicio del Toro. It's an unbelievable movie. It tells uh, interweaving storylines of an ensemble of characters about um, the drug trafficking industry. And I just couldn't tell, recommend it enough. Excellent. Job. Everyone listening is like, haven't you talked smack about Crash like five times? No, no, no. I'm sorry. Traffic, traffic, <laughs> traffic is my streamer. I was gonna say, I'm, Crash. Like, I'm like, I'm thinking that's not the cast from oh, Crash. Oh god, I don't know. Why. I mean, I'm like, am so, in a second. I was like, Soderbergh made Crash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he he, he made a, he did make a movie called Crash. Yeah. Um, about people who are um, who like to have sex um and crashed vehicles during accidents gotcha um that was one of his early films in the 90s so that's i mixed that up but clearly the, the movie is traffic traffic every watch traffic did you do that because in the film they traffic drugs i mean the <laughs> movies in the show i mean Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> see guys this is not scripted no i, I did it because i watched it the other day yeah It could just uh add it on prime so yeah traffic not uh, crash <laughs> all right let's get back into breaking bad <laughs> unless you have any other hiccups you want to get out of the way I'm great. You good? You yeah. good? I'm, I'm solid. <laughs> and so we were talking about Jesse, right? Skyler. Oh, we were talking about Skyler. Okay. We talked enough about Jesse Christ. Jesse Christ? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, my favorite pizza joint. Also a little bit about Walt Jr. He goes through a lot in this film as well. You know, show. And <laughs> I keep saying it. But he loses his dad. And also there's a point where he even like changes his name to Flynn. He starts going by Flynn for a couple of seasons. And that's just a you know, an indication of him trying to distance himself from his father because he doesn't even want to share the same name as him. Uh, and because of he's lost his connection to his father. And R.J. Mitt did a fantastic job. And, you know, Walt thinks that if I buy him nice things, like if I buy him that new car, then I'm being a good dad. But ultimately, it's he's not being a dad at all. He's not being a real father. And it's, it's a tragic story for Walt Jr., especially that horrible scene uh, when... He pulls out the knife, and he literally protects Skyler from Walt, and it's really tragic. And then when they've talked for the last time on the phone, and Walt Jr. is like, I wish you were dead already. but like, And you hear teens say that all the time to their parents in movies, like, I wish you were dead, but it's not. it's all BS, but like him saying it then it's like wow he really he definitely does wish his father was dead like can you imagine if that was your father who you loved and you just wanted to spend time with and was constantly lying and you thought that the cancer was a legit excuse but he just kind of changes and turns into a new person Heisenberg and then you find out that your father is this crazy methamphetamine drug ping king lord and it's insane how could you possibly drug pin king lord drug <laughs> drug king what what? drug pin king lord, lord. <laughs> did i say <laughs> ping lord yeah are you sure yeah <laughs> drug drug pin king lord <laughs> no, I'm, just... I'm getting it wrong still sorry king i ran a mar- i ran a half marathon today. king pin drug lord king pin drug lord yeah oh that <laughs> king... was a king lord <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> man, that was bad. Sorry, guys. We're doing our best. Drug pit King Lord. We're doing our best <laughs> tonight. <laughs> it's been a long day. Burned 2,000 calories. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. You did it. You ran a half marathon today. So I get an excuse get today. An excuse this, this episode. episode. Everyone reached out to James and tell him, like, he did a good job. So a ki- I saw it. Have, he crushed it. D- drug pen King Lord is fine. Yeah, yeah. The King Lord. Like, <laughs> let's just call him a King Lord from now on. But um, <laughs> can you imagine that happening to you? And then you find out who your dad really is. How could you want him in your life ever again? Exactly. It's really tragic. It's horrible. It's it's terrible. Yeah. And then Hank Strader is a, a great character also, played by Dean Norris, who is Walt's brother-in-law. He's a DEA agent. And you could say that hank's character is what entices walt first into the interest of producing drugs you know being a king lord (laughs) being a king lord (laughs) because hank has that early in the first season he has that big bust where of a meth lab and they get a ton of cash that they had and walt's like i can make meth i can make a ton of cash that that might not be a bad idea i could probably do that and he goes on that right along with dean i mean with with hank not saying it's hank's fault but if Hank wasn't a DEA agent and didn't have that bus. Maybe none of this would have ever happened. And that's where he sees Pinkman, his old high school science student, running outside of that window. Pinkman? And that's where he approaches Pinkman, like you said earlier, about doing making meth and selling it. Yeah. And Hank is necessary to the story. And he had to; they had to write some kind of character like this involved in law enforcement. And it's really smart how they made it to the brother-in-law because it adds to, there's You're like always on edge of Hank finding something out about Walt. And like, it's amazing sequences where Walt does something terrible and then he has like drinks with Hank the next night. Yeah. It's unbelievable the contradiction, the contrasting nature, and the dual life of Walt. And also, you need Hank because to be able to see the law enforcement perspective towards Heisenberg and towards this new meth. Then we know how big it is, how important it is in terms of the DEA's investigations of drugs in the area and how massive this empire is becoming and how dangerous the law enforcement view Walt White. Yeah, Hank's hilarious, too. He's like that alpha guy. And at first, before uh, Walt's cancer diagnosis, when he reveals it to everybody, he's kind of just a ball buster to Hank. I mean, to Walt. There's a great moment of that um, when when he's giving Walt when there's a toast at Walt's party. He Hank takes Walt's drink out of his hand and uses it for his toast. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's show a sign of like dominance and disrespect towards Walt. And But then once the cancer diagnosis comes, he's, he's much more brotherly to him rather than like a brother-in-law busting his chops constantly. And it's crazy how many situations Hank almost caught Walt, like red-handed. Like my favorite scene maybe between the two of them where he almost catches him is when they're putting the luggage in the back of the car and, you know, while it's going through chemotherapy, he lifts up this very heavy bag. Then Hank's like, I-, I got that for you. And he picks it up for him. He's like, oh my God, what do you got in there, rocks?" He's like, a million dollars in cash. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it is a million dollars in cash. <laughs> and Hank opens it up, he's like, where the fuck did you get this? And Hank shows up at the RV. And he's, like, literally, like, about to break into the door, and then the guy in charge of the parking lot kicks him out. Yeah. He's, like, so close to finding yeah, it. Yeah, another great one is where, in Season 1, once they start working with Tuco, who's basically a distributor for the meth, and obviously it goes wrong because Tuco's such a hothead. Another King Lord. Um, Another King Lord. <laughs> where, after Tuco starts killing people, and then Hank's onto Tuco and tracking him down, Tuco kidnaps Walt and Jesse, and, with, and he's with uh, Tio Salamanca at that hideout, steals Jesse's car to do it at the same time. And so Walt and Jesse get away when Hank shows up and Hank kills Tuco, but it's Pinkman's car. And so Pinkman, fortunately for him, has some great alibi that he conjures. And he just says the car was stolen, so he goes free. And then Walt has to figure out why he's been missing for 24 hours. And he could literally, he watches Tuco get shot by Hank. He's under that hill, that little ledge. And then he comes up with the idea where he just goes into that grocery store completely butt naked, knowing exactly what he's doing. But he says that he has some sort of chemotherapy episode from the treatment or from the cancer, which Skyler believes and his family believes... But obviously the FBI agents are like, "Eh, that sounds like BS. Sounds like BS, guys. And Mike is involved in some great action sequences, and he turns he proves himself to be a bad motherfucker, bad mother effort. Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) like that out. Like he first he kills Tuco, like headshot, no problem. And then also he kills the Salamanca twins when they go after him. After that, first they go after Walt as revenge, but then uh, when Gus Gus tells them that it was actually. Hank, the the agent who killed Tuco, because Gus is like I have a partnership yeah, with him. Exactly, he doesn't want Walt to be ki- to get killed. So here's the actual real cause of your of your uncle's death. And when they show up and, and attack uh, Hank, it's a great action sequence, great shootout, and then what he like barely gets by, but he, he manages to do the job. And then Hank and Walt get even closer because after that shootout, Hank suffers that severe, I think it's a spinal injury, and he may never walk again unless he gets this very expensive physical therapy which they can't afford and at this point Skyler is privy to the knowledge of what Hank's what Walt's doing Walt has confessed to her about the meth and everything and no, she knows how much money they're making and they've been laundering it through the car wash that they buy and so they offer to give Hank the money for the physical therapy treatment which they use as, they lie saying that Walt's been counting cards at casinos to win cash and even Walt Jr. falls for this lie as well so they're just constantly lying all over the show, but that builds even more of a relationship between Walt and Hank. However, Hank doesn't realize till later on that it's all a facade, it's all BS. And when Hank does find out, and you know, first they have that scene earlier where he there are the initials left in in Gale's apartment and it says WW and he's he's trying to figure out who it is and then Walt points out and, and Dean I mean and Hank just jokingly says Walter White. And then Walt points out it was Walt Whitman because he was a big fan of Walt Whitman yeah they're going through the evidence yeah exactly but then at the end of season 4 when Hank's sitting on the toilet and he pulls out that book and he sees the handwritten note from Gail to WW Walter White and says like it was a pleasure it's a pleasure watching you work and getting able to work with you it's a Walt Whitman book too right yeah it's a Walt Whitman book and it's one of the most – it's probably the best moment of the show. That cliffhanger on that season, you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And then we had to wait a year to see it. Yeah, especially because right before he went to the bathroom, they had, like, a very lovely family moment. They mm-hmm. were, like, in the backyard having yeah, a barbecue. Yeah, the patio, yeah. Drinking and having a good time. And then there's – in the fifth season, it's so amazing. Like, they have that great talk in the garage, and, you know, Hank is – it seems friendly at first, but then when he reveals like what he wants to talk with to Walt about and reveals that he knows who he is, then Walt, he turns around and you think like he's going to maybe try to run away, but he just closes the garage door and he's like, let's talk. Yeah, it's, amazing. it's amazing. Tread lightly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and season five is great because Hank's trying to get Walt caught in the act he knows it's Walt but he needs to figure out how to get evidence and that's when he links up with Pinkman and Pinkman obviously <laughs> keep calling him Pinkman now yeah Jesse oh, Pinkman <laughs> Pinkman. <laughs> Pinkman uh <laughs> he, he has the story but it's just hearsay you need evidence to prosecute somebody and arrest them and then they get Huel involved they do the fake photo with Jesse and then they they fake the cash it's a great scheme withdrawal inside the uh, desert there with the barrels like oh we got your cash and mm. um. Walt just thinks it's Jesse stealing his money. So when Walt hurries to the desert to find his cash, which he doesn't realize that he's being followed by the DEA, who are working with Jesse, he calls Uncle Jack and Todd and that gang, and they come and take out Walt. I mean, they take out Hank, which is terrif It's horrible because Hank's such a beloved character, and to watch him die. And Hank knows once the shootout's over, I'm dead. They're not going to let me go. Even, Wal- Even though Walt's like, he's my brother-in-law, don't do it. And Hank's like, how? you're the smartest guy I know. But sometimes you're a real idiot. He says something like that because they're not going to let me go. They're going to kill me. You killed me. Yeah, and it's Walt doesn't understand. Like He has no control of the situation anymore. And Jack and and his crew, they're in the power now. And eventually, you know, watching Hank die is one of the most tragic parts of the series. But you knew one of them was going to go down. It was either going to be Walt or it was going to be Hank. That was with the tension of season five of— that anticipation of seeing who was going to come out and who was going to survive. And, I mean, it's it makes perfect sense that Hank's the one who goes down first. Yeah, and that's when they decide to, because of Todd's clever idea to take Ben as a prisoner rather than Pinkman. kill him and have him be a cook slave for them for meth and make a, prof- a bunch of money off of it. Yeah, And we'll get into Todd and that gang later on. But uh, we got to talk about Saul Goodman, so we better call Saul, played by Bob <laughs> Odenkirk, who is... Just a great character. He's so fun. He's so interesting. And everyone loves him so much that they got he got a prequel out of it. And Better Call Saul Saul Goodman is his name. It's based off the phrase, it's all good man, so Saul Goodman. That's crazy. It's all good man. It's all good It's man. all goodman. And Bob's awesome in this show, in, in this role. And I, I like his character I think better in Breaking Bad. I think They made him more of a heroic like in the Better Call Saul show, Mm -hmm. which I understand is he's the lead of the show. He has to be the protagonist and a hero because in Breaking Bad, he seems to always be like a very weak, like a mouse like character trying to like get a cracker, but not getting losing a hand or anything like that. You know, he seems sleazy. Yeah, exactly. Very sleazy for sure. You don't need a criminal lawyer. You need a criminal lawyer. (laughs) That's great. He adds a lot of humor. And levity to the show. It's much needed. And he really steals a lot of the scenes he's in. But he's also vital. Like, he helps them, you know, uh, what do you call it? launder their money. You yeah. Know I mean, otherwise, like, the IRS is going to take you down immediately. So it's his, he is the catalyst for them, you know, trying, like, preserving themselves as they make tens of millions of dollars plus so many fun of like the billboards and the commercials that yeah. he makes and stuff like that and his clientele and everything and being inside of his office is always fun and also Saul has so many connections he's the one who links them up with Gus Fring he's also the one that has the connections with the person who can get you a new identity and stuff like that so he is and he also has a connection with Mike so without him, they can't do a lot of things for the show. And it seems as though he's very much part of the criminal underworld in in New Mexico. Whether he wants to admit it at first to people, and but he's also you know he makes a ton of money off of them as well. Yeah, he makes money under the books, and he he know he's involved. Like you're, you're if you're helping people launder money, you're a money launderer. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you need a criminal <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> but I think the connection to Gus is what really for me, really set the the series into something really monumental. By it had Tuco, Tuco was a great villain, you know, but ultimately he was only a few episodes and, you know, it wasn't amazing. But the birth of Heisenberg yeah. was because of Tuco when exactly. Walt, after Tuco, steals their meth and their money and beats up Jesse. That's when Walt goes there after he shaves his head from the chemotherapy with his hat and his sunglasses, throws that homemade bomb on the floor. And then he's like, whoa, man, that was awesome. Too bad. Too bad. The guy from Training Day also. And that's where he comes up with the name of Heisenberg. So we get Heisenberg because of Tuco, but please continue. Thank you. <laughs> Great explanation. Yeah. Though rapid fire too (laughs) but Gus the show never had like that great villain to the protagonist I agree yeah and Gus ended up becoming the perfect villain an amazing part of the show Giancarlo Esposito is really terrific he steals every scene he's an uh, excellent excellent actor and Gus Fring is just a fascinating character he's like everything that Walt wants to be in terms of you know a drug king a drug pen king lord (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> because on the surface he looks like he's very boring, polite very professional, he runs a franchise of Los Pollos Hermanos and he seems like he, a straight and narrow citizen, you know, he's, there's photos of him in the DEA office, he helps the community, he has awards, like, he's an upstanding citizen, but it's, he's such an intellig- intelligent guy he knows that that is what's so important to his operation working. It's the same thing as as Kevin Spacey's character in Usual Suspects by acting like a cripple, no one will suspect you. Whoa, you are spoiling the movie for people <laughs> for being a really cool guy. <laughs> you might want <laughs> to cut a that thirty year old movie. Yeah. I don't give a. F. I, I'm sure that everyone who's listening has seen the movie. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> Anyways, sorry. <laughs> if but, you haven't seen it, you should see it. But I love when you how you put how he's like he. Gus, really is, loved it? Gus is what Walt wishes he could be to some point, the professionalism. But also, Giancarlo has the perfect cover with Los Pollos Hermanos because not only does he have the chain, the 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 facade of his charitable donations and his work with the community, with the DEA office, and how they all love him over there. So it's like, why would we ever look at it? Giancarlo? He just manages this Los Pollos Hermanos. We love him. He sends us chicken all the time. He's the guy. He's the <laughs> man. We're never going to investigate him for anything. Walt... His cancer is his like cover, but it's not the perfect cover and you can only use it for so long because he eventually goes into remission. It does come back later on, but you can only use that for so long. But then once your cancer is gone for a couple seasons, like what are you what's your cover for all this behavior and what you're doing? And then Giancarlo with I mean with Gus and Los Porrios Hermanos, he also has the incredible distribution network with that company. It's perfect it's the perfect setup because how else could you distribute an illegal drug across the country without anyone suspecting you. Because you, if you have your these 18 wheelers filled with your, the food and ingredients for your franchise of a fast food restaurant and they hide it within like the batter of the chicken, it's like no one would ever suspect it. And you don't have to deal with customs. You don't have to deal with airplane travel. You don't have to deal with crossing borders. It's all easy, smooth sailing. And it, I would I mean, I love the Better Call Saul spinoff, but it would have been so cool to see a Gus spin spin-off and see how he established himself, how he established Los Pollos Hermanos. It would have been a really great a great TV series. Yeah, because we do get that fascinating glimpse into his past where when he takes Jesse to Mexico and they're starting that relationship, and it seems like Gus is trying to get Jesse to be his main cooking because he's trying to take Walt out of the picture at some point and they go to Mexico and they meet up with the cartel who Gus clearly has had past dealings with. They know him and they seem to be working together. And he poisons them all with that champagne and he pukes up his champagne in the toilet and then everyone dies. And then we get the, the flashback of when, also when he went to that same guy, the, it's the guy from Scarface. And, and Tio Salamanca. And T. Salamanca's there as well. And they kill his brother after their proposition, their business proposition, straight up blank, shoot him in the head in the pool. And so we learn so much. Of, well, you wish you could learn more about Gus, which is why you're right. It would be great to get a show about just Gus Fring. But then we get the great revenge that he has on the cartel. And then his revenge on Teo Salamanca is constantly going to that retirement home that he's in and tormenting him and, and messing with him like once a month. And then also uh, when they when Walt understands that he needs to take Gus out. He discovers that. This is the only moment where Gus is vulnerable and unarmed and alone is when he visits Tio. So that is Gus's um, – what do you call it? The uh, Weakness. Weakness, um, yeah. weakness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Chain, chink, link, link What's the, the, the guy there. who flew, flew to the sun? Icarus. Icarus. Yeah, what was his problem? What was his prob- – um. He flew too close to the sun because yeah. his wings were made out of, like, wax. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know, but what's that term? I'm trying to think. I can't remember. He flew too close to the sun. No, no, no. the term for the the mentality of thinking he could fly close to the sun. Um, you say it all the time. Do I? Yeah, you say it a lot. You'll, whatever, I'll, fig- I'll figure it out. <laughs> this is going to get cut. <laughs> no, I'll leave it in. I'm sure everyone's enjoying it. I was talking about Icarus. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> he understands that... Uh, his tormenting of Tio is Gus's weakness and it's the the only soft pot, soft part in his armor and this is how he comes up with, with the brilliant plan of planting the bomb within Salamanca's wheelchair because Tio obviously wants to kill Gus as well because of what he's been going through and they have that past and everyone who Tio knew like Tuco's gone um the the murder twins are dead everyone's dead so like what's he got left to live for anyways then to even though he's he's uh a Disabled person stuck in this wheelchair, he does have the bell that he gets to tap. That pretty much that one thing he, he can only really only move his hand. That's about it. He, he can't turn left, he can't turn left. He's not an ambi turner, <laughs> not like Derek Zoolander, but he can have one final act and go out with the bang. Pun intended. <laughs> and he's this old school gangster because Tio he could have rat out Jesse earlier on about in the first season, the first yeah. season when Tuco got killed, but he doesn't rat him out. He's an old school gangster, and you could say he's just been waiting for a situation like this to go out. And that bomb is an amazing scene, especially when Gus walks out, and the way they filmed it from his side profile—you think he's okay, but then the camera, but then the camera uh, pans and it faces Gus, and you see that half his face is just like destroyed. It's what crazy. I love about it is is when he goes in there, and he starts messing with Tio, and Tio starts slamming it, and Gus is like, "What's he doing?" And then Gus realizes that what's about to happen, and he screams, "No!" because he knows he's about to die. No. Yeah, that's a pretty good impression of him screaming, no, I'm, pr- I'm pretty much <laughs> as good an actor as Giancarlo Esposito. Basically. Yeah, basically. And there's another villain I want to get to as well. He's he, he's not as big of a villain as Gus is, but Todd. And Todd is a really great character. He's super fascinating because, and Jesse Plemons' breakout role, he's excellent. I think it's the first time I saw him yeah, in, me in too. anything, really. Yeah, and on the surface, he seems like a nice guy. You know, he seems, like, kind of sweet and kind of innocent and naive, and he's very polite, and, you know, he's a positive manner about him. But we realize that he's a total sociopath. Like, he shoots that kid, no questions asked, without hesitation, and you're like, oh my god, it was so shocking after after the train heist. And then also, like, the way he talks to Jesse in the fifth season when Jesse's the slave of the Aryan Brotherhood, he always talks to him, like, he has... It's like he's just like his friend, you know what I mean, with this friendly manner, and he just uh, Todd seems to have no remorse, no emotion for what he does, the horrible acts he commits, and he was such a surprising character, you didn't see him coming, and then he ended up being a major part of the second half of the show, and that's why I love El Camino so much, the the t the movie that they made, which was basically a continuation of Jesse's and Todd's story and their relationship because Todd is a fascinating character he's very even though he's a very evil person but to see them go back and forth it's always like jaw dropping like how horrible this person is one of the most evil characters you've ever seen in film or TV you know he's he's terrible absolutely and El Camino was a really good movie i yeah, liked it a lot yeah i loved it and Jesse Plemons he's blown up now he's like working with Scorsese a with Scott Cooper, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Anderson the mastery yeah. so good, yeah. So he's an excellent actor, and this was his big breakout as well. And speaking of that, that train heist—that's one of my favorite episodes because at that point, this is after Walt has taken out Gus, and then Walt learns that, and with working with Mike now, who was loyal to Gus, and working with Saul, that there were corporate interests in. Gus's meth ring and in the distribution network in the profits and that's where the character Lydia comes into play because she was the one who was able to get the methylamine which is what they use to make the meth because when they first start cooking meth they use cold medicine but you can only buy so much from so many places and that's when Jesse and Walt in the first season steal a barrel of methylamine to mass produce meth but now they've lost that methylamine because Gus is dead and he was their co- he was their contact with Lydia to get the methylamine so now they're working with with Lydia to get the methylamine but they're out her source is gone it's been it's been stolen and so they have to steal the methylamine from that train which is such a good episode because it's like a classic Western movie, like a train heist. It's so, so cool. fun. It's so en- fun. It's a ton of energy. It's it's fucking pulse bounding. I, uh, we can stop dropping F- that F- bombs. pulse bounding. You, you gotta you gotta bleep these out. But it's, <laughs> it's 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 genius. It's so fun. And they replace it with water, and that's when we get that wild act of of Todd just shooting that kid for no reason, which you did not expect. Yeah, never exactly. never saw that coming. Now, in order to play Walter White, Brian Cranston, he had to shave his head quite a bit. And speaking of shaving hair, manscaped has a brand new lawnmower, the 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for 20% off and free shipping using our our coupon code Raiders of Lost at checkout. This brand new lawnmower 4.0 groomer is waterproof, skin safe, has a 7,000 RPM motor, is a wireless charger, has a built-in light. You can use in the shower, guys, with no lights on it. Go crazy. (laughs) Put on some some Phil Phil Collins and rock out. (laughs) Fellas, get on manscaped.com. Get their lawnmower 4.0. Get their products in general. They're fantastic. Their boxer briefs, their, their men's wipes. I can't recommend everything they sell enough, uh, especially their performance package 4.0s, which is just a bundle of terrific items. So everyone, ladies, fellas, if you got a man in your life, you don't know what to get them for. Birthday, anniversary, holidays are coming up. Just, uh, hey, take this hint gift. Go to manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping for gifts that guys will actually use. I'm telling you. Love it. That reminds me of a photo someone put of Breaking Bad, and it uh, said there's a credit, uh, hairstyling by what blah blah blah, and it was Bryan Cranston, Hank, uh, Gus Fring, and Aaron Paul, and they all have like either shaved heads or just like buzz cuts. It's it's so (laughs) it's like a one, (laughs) like the easiest hairstyle like in TV history. And speaking of Breaking Bad, I think they had an amazing marketing campaign and especially their posters, whether it be Heisenberg staring at you with a, a mean face and his cool hat, or you know, that great iconic shot of both Jesse and Walt sitting in the yellow suits in front of in their lab. Great, great posters. There's no better way to express your love of breaking bad than to buy a couple of these posters at movieposters.com. They have teamed up with us to offer a very special promo. Use Raiders 15 off to get 15% off your order today. They have a wide array of movie posters, pretty much every movie imaginable, all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting, whatever your poster needs are, movieposters.com has it. So again, head on over to movieposters.com and use the coupon code RAIDERS15OFF to get 15% off your order today. And speaking of those hazmat suits, I love that part of the show where this is, you know, Gus is gone. They don't have access to that lab anymore, so they have to figure out where can we cook mass amounts of meth and not cause attention being drawn to us with the odors and the fumes and the smells because it's going to be stinky we need some sort of ventilation but what better way to do it than to cook meth inside of houses that are being bugged for being exterminated for bugs Hmm. and it's like it became like one of the favorite parts of the show, just the the iconic wardrobe of the yellow suits. We tried to wear the le- yellow costumes. Yeah, we tried for the to do show, it for the episode. But they were way too noisy. You would have just been hearing crumpling like the whole time. It would have been <laughs> It would have been unbearable. It would have been unlistenable. 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 Yeah, unable to listen to. Incapable of listening. Unwatchable. Like <laughs> I'm talking about. You're becoming unwatchable right now. Unwatchable right now. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, yeah, it's a great plan. And also, that's what introduces Todd to the story as well, because his. his uh, He's part of the extermination crew. The... Oh yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, it's just a very clever thing. And I'm sure every time I drive by one of those carnival extermination things think around the house, I'm like, I bet someone's cooking Sweet math, math inside there, <laughs> or any RV. <laughs> <laughs> and but then eventually, when they, when Walt and Jesse get to Gus's lab, I think that's a really big moment for Walt because, yes, Gus offered him three million dollars to cook for him. But also when he saw that lab for the first time, he was like struck with awe. And that was just as enticing as the money, I think. Because at that point, he was thinking of getting out. Yeah, exactly. He he had cash. He could have left and been okay. And Skyler knew and everything. But I think that harkens back to his passion for chemistry and his passion for science. And that, I think, was just as much of a motivator as the money was, you know, making this meth that was the best that had ever been done. No one had ever seen anything like it before. And it gave him power, you know, creating this drug, the way he did it, made him a very powerful person. And he has a very special connection, not just to science, but the act of chemistry and the laboratory, like having a laboratory. And that's why I think at the, in the final episode, when he's dying, he decides to spend his last moments in that lab. And I think that's because the laboratory was the only place where he really felt at home even even county eisenberg like his true self was being a chemist in his heart you know what i mean and science his love for science you know he has that great little speech talking about science to his students in the classroom and he's like it's fascinating like you can see how much he loves it so i think that's also why he did all of this to be able to make science to make to create chemistry and to be in a lab and, That's why he's there at the end. Yeah, it's very clever of Gus to lure him back into the meth game and basically sign that $3 million contract to work for him with the laboratory because he knew that there'd be no way that Walt would turn that down once he saw it because of where he was cooking before. And I think it's more in addition to that. I think it's also that laboratory in the meth, you know, that's Heisenberg. He's become Heisenberg at that point. He's not Walter White anymore. And the meth is, to him the equivalent of what gray matter is. You know, he built an empire that's that was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Even though he has just one barrel left to him, that's $10 million in that one barrel. I mean, he's made hundreds it's a of, ton of money. So to him dying there is also him saying, this is, this is what I accomplished. This is me. I'm Heisenberg. Now everyone knows I reached my potential in one avenue of direction of life that I chose, whether it was positive for the world or not. And I think... You know, Walt's a very complicated character. He does get redemption at the end in terms of saving Jesse. But he didn't plan on that originally because he didn't know Jesse was going to be there. Maybe he did. He didn't know he'd be in the room. Yeah. Um, But also, he still has destroyed his life. He just destroyed his families. I mean... Did Walt win in the end? I don't think he won at all. I mean, he lost everything. He, Yeah, he financially was able to set up his family for life once Walter Jr. turns 18 because he went to Gretchen and Elliot and, and threatened them with the fake laser pointing that if they don't give him a trust fund of $10 million on his 18th birthday, that they'd be killed. So he did get... He figured out a way to get some of the money, but still it's only a percentage of all the money he made. So all that work and death and the 201 bodies that are on his, under his name, was it worth it to lose your family, lose your life, to lose your friends, lose your brother-in-law? All of it ended because of you? I don't think it was worth it at all. He, Yeah, he ultimately lost big time, but he did win it a certain way, and he, wor- he won by... Becoming something special. A legend. Yeah, doing something special. So in that way, he won. Because throughout the show, from season one, two, three, his, the legend of Heisenberg grows and grows, and even people are like as, afraid to say his name. They're afraid to meet him because it's ironic because – when he has those first like gangster dealings, he's like so unsure of himself. Nervous he's so scared yeah. that he wears the glasses and hat because yeah, he doesn't want to be recognized, but also probably because he doesn't want to look somebody in the eye and know that they're looking at him. Yeah, and Jesse's kind of the lead for a lot of things for the meetings and everything until he always figures he always like takes the lead eventually, but. He, ironically, is, like, one of the most feared people in, in Albuquerque or in New Mexico in the drug world. 100%. Especially towards the end because the bodies start stacking. Even Jesse gets a rep where the the, um, the meth heads who steal their meth. Yeah, they steal their they meth. They become afraid of the crew. Yeah. yeah. When the, the woman meth head kills her. With the ATM. Yeah, you know, with the ATM machine. Yeah. Everyone thinks Jesse did it. Yeah. And so his rep grows. But what Walt d- does so cleverly is. He's a master manipulator. He's like, that's great. We can use that. Let's let everyone think that Jesse killed all these killed these people because we need rep. We need strength in the streets because otherwise, every meth is gonna jack Jesse or our dealers. Hundred percent. But we also gotta talk about Mike Ammerichal for a little bit because he is a fan favorite. He actually has a huge role in Better Call Saul because unfortunately, at season five, Walt takes Mike out because Mike was always loyal to Gus. In a way, he's. I wouldn't say he's loyal to Saul, but he gets a lot of work through Saul, and he's connected through Saul. So, with the criminal underworld, then you need that guy, the the criminal lawyer. lawyer. But Mike Amertrout's a really interesting guy. He's like the fixer, like Wolf in Pulp Fiction, but also like a deadly assassin. It seems like he's been doing it for decades. And like, I wonder how many people he's killed. I'll uh, probably a ton. And some of my favorite uh, episodes and scenes are when him and Jesse are working together, and he's like kind of like keeping an eye on Jesse, keeping him out of trouble, and taking him under, under his wing a little bit. And it's really interesting because, you know, we learn about him and you empathize with with Mike because he has that granddaughter who he's trying to support. And especially through Saul, we learn that even though money laundering works, it doesn't completely work. I mean, even Mike, I think Saul says like he gets even Mike has a goose egg and he still can't get it to his daughter because every time he tries to his granddaughter, because every time he tries, Uncle Sam takes a bit out of it or most of it. Yeah. And Mike's a fascinating character and a great performance. And he is a clean he's a fan favorite and he is important to jesse he, he gets jesse sober you know what i mean when because first he, he shows up to fix the situation of jane's dead body and so he takes care of that but then he's also in charge of getting jesse clean and also he becomes like a guiding force in jesse's life you know even though he is a killer he has a great heart and a goodness to him He's also, like, takes no shit from anybody, but, you know, he's very wise. And I think Jesse learns a lot from him and takes a lot from him as well. And what I like about Mike a lot is that he's an ambiguous character in terms of you don't fully know who his loyalties are to. Because after Walt takes out Gus, Mike's irate and he wants, like, revenge for Gus in a way. But then he's able to be coaxed into the new operation that Walt's gonna run. And now he's not fully loyal to Walt, but now he's gonna help Walt and work with him because... I mean he needs is, the money. He needs the money and he knows this game. He has all the same connections and he's part of the operation was, was part of the operation with Gus. So he might as well do the same role as with Walt, maybe get more of a cut. And his death was so tragic. It was everyone freaked out about it. It was shocking to the whole entire audience and and it's because you know he was such a beloved character and the way Walt did him in, it felt like he betrayed us. You know what I mean? Like seemed like it felt like Walt betrayed the audience, you know what I mean? Because Mike was a good guy, for even though for being a killer, <laughs> <laughs> but <it> was, <laughs> all I'm gonna say is Jesse has a ton of bad father figures. Yeah, he has horrible father figures. You're right, but you know he 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 does right by the people he works for. You know what I mean? And it was so sad to see him go. Yeah, but you know when Walt's going in that direction of like you talked about earlier, yeah, he's you empathize with him getting cash for his family and selling meth, but you know from day one he was doing it for himself. But he could get out, he doesn't, kills his Gus, and then he goes, I'm in the empire business. Now he wants to build an empire. Now yeah. he's full on Heisenberg at this point. You know, He's completely changed. He doesn't even wear the hat anymore. He doesn't wear the sunglasses anymore. He just has become fully Heisenberg. And I think the Fly episode is where he finally sheds the Walter White persona because that episode, you could say, is like him battling that duality and Walter's kind of peeking through a little bit And he's saying, like, oh, we need, we have contamination in this laboratory from this little tiny fly. But really, it's just like him kind of having a mental breakdown and Heisenberg finally taking full control behind the wheel of the vehicle of his persona. Tyler Durden style. Legit. And I have, um, I made a list of all of the evil acts which Walter commits. Let's hear this list. It's probably insane. If I'm missing one, let me know. But I think this is a pretty good list. So. These, so he does kill two people in the first two episodes, but because of the self, those are self-defense, I'm not counting those. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, I would have done the same thing in those situations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. So Walter, he forces Jesse to cook meth. He also makes the laundry workers clean up that lab, knowing that it's going to get them deported back to Honduras. He cuts Jesse out and basically fires him after things are going well with Gus and says, you're out. He sets up that insane sequence of killing all the inmates across multiple prisons simultaneously. I love that Godfather reference. So great. Um, He runs over those two drug dealers in order to save Jesse. He shoots Mike. He makes Jesse kill Gale. He poisons Brock. And then he makes Jesse think that he vacuumed up the Ryzen with his Roomba. And he also lets Jane die. While she's choking on her vomit, he kidnaps his own daughter, he puts a hit out on Jesse, and after he dissolves the body of that dead child, he whistles without a care in the world while cleaning up the lab's floor. Insane. And also, also, when he returns home in the fifth season, um, knowing that he's in danger, and he doesn't want to walk into his house afraid that there's an assassin there to kill him, he makes up a story to his neighbor to, so that she can go in first to make sure that no one's inside. Damn, I forgot about that one. Yeah, <clears throat> not a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing with with Walt, with I th- I think every great killer you could say has that we know in film. And I think like obviously like Anton Chigurh with his his cattle gun, his cattle shotgun, and the silencer also on the shotgun. The air, <laughs> air gun. Um, he has his own his specific favorite method of murder, which I think is the Ryzen cigarette, or the Ryzen, I mean not the Ryzen cigarette. So Ryzen is a poison that Walter White prepares twice, and he prefers Ryzen because it's virtually untraceable, and it takes a while for the victim to die from it, like about a day or two. And they'll, they don't know where they got the poisoning from. It's a mystery. So the first time that Walt created Ryzen, it was intended to kill Tuco Salamanca. So Walt carried a packet of the meth that Tuco liked. The, the blue meth mixed with poison, hoping that Tuco would snort it like he usually does. But when Tuco smelt the packet, he smelt it was off. And Jesse says, like, oh, it's my secret ingredient, chili powder. <laughs> so that's what he used to put in his old meth that he used to cook when he was uh, Captain Cook. That was what his, his name was. And so, unfortunately, Tuco doesn't use that. But Walter tries to later on use that risen to kill Tuco inside the burrito that, t- that Tio Salamanca Season, you know, obviously that gets destroyed. But the next time that he makes Ryzen is for Jesse to kill Goose, uh, Gus Fring. And he puts the Ryzen inside that cigarette for Jesse. And he also made the Ryzen inside the super lab that Gus made for him. And so when Jesse was getting closer to Gus, he had the opportunity to finally use the Ryzen cigarette to take Gus out. But when he went to grab it, it was missing. He had no idea where the Ryzen cigarette went. And later at that same time, Andrea's son Brock fell severely ill from a mysterious unknown poisoning that they couldn't trace to and Jesse thought that it was probably from the rise in cigarette. He thought he's the one that poisoned him. He doesn't know that... He thought that Walt poisoned him. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. He thought that Walt poisoned took him. Took the cigarette to He thought. Okay, Brock. so he first thought that Walt took the cigarette from Jesse, which he did. He had Saul use fuel to lift the cigarette from Jesse, but Jesse didn't know that. And Walt used that that um lily of the valley plant to poison brock to put him in the hospital to manipulate him because he then put a fake rising cigarette in jesse's Roomba vacuum saying that oh it wasn't me the cigarette was here the whole time you know who probably did it it was probably gus who poisoned brock and then later on when jesse finally works out that it was huel and it was saul and it was walt who took his rising cigarette that's when he gets really upset later on i think he holds a solid gunpoint but also he takes the original horizon from the cigarette hides inside that electrical outlet saves it for when he uses it to kill lydia later on season five with the stevia package yeah she's obsessed with stevia not sweet and low do you have stevia never mind i brought my own (laughs) (laughs) so uh, that's a great example of not just his preferred method of death and killing but also the manipulation of walt in his genius in that regard of being a just a bad guy, no, not a good dad. Not a good dad. I hope that I explained that well. It's kind that of complicated. No, that was great, and it, it's it's spread over like a season. All that. I was enthralled. <laughs> Thanks, pal. <laughs> but I mean, this show is so iconic. There's there's so many great lines too. Like, I am the, I am, I <laughs> just, for, I am the danger. <laughs> I am the one who knocks. I am the one who knocks, sorry, yeah. No, he says I am the danger. Yeah, you're right. A guy opens a door and gets shot. You think that of me? No, 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 no. I am the one who knocks. <laughs> Say my name. It's I'm iconic. a blowfish. It's <laughs> iconic. <laughs> it's iconic, and this show, it really is the best show ever made, and it will stand the test of time, and there will never be anything like it. And I think what Brian Cranston did, what Aaron Paul did especially, those two guys— with their performances and then vince gilligan crafting this entire story it's just once in a generation kind of show yeah it's up there yeah. it's like that Sopranos, the wires the best shows I've ever made Game of Thrones. And, yeah Game... yeah sure <laughs> and there's there's so much to talk about i'm sure we didn't cover a ton of things that you guys had in the back of your head while you're listening to this episode and i mean we're almost an uh, it's almost a two-hour episode this i feel like we're halfway through but i mean you got anything else you want to add? Because I think we're going to wrap it there. I'm solid. I just have a ton of trivia. Let's can, let's do can, some trivia, can, pal. Uh, share. Yeah, let's do it. So after binge watching the entire show in a span of two weeks, Anthony Hopkins wrote a glowing fan letter to Brian Cranston saying that praising him and his fellow actors for their incredible acting as well as lauding the rest of the crew, comparing the series to a great Shakespearean or Greek tragedy. He also said that Brian Cranston delivered one of the best performances of all, of all time samuel l jackson showed up unannounced during filming of breaking bad on the los pollos Hermanos set one day dressed in his nick fury outfit from the avengers in 2012 both productions were happening at the same studio on the same lot and jackson wanted to be an extra during the scene being filmed the producers denied his request to appear as nick fury on the show and that would not have made any sense if he was in the background (laughs) that would be super distracting (laughs) many fans were surprised that such a successful show never had big-time stars who were already famous. Vince Gilligan did this this on purpose, saying that he always rejected the ideas of adding big-name stars to the cast and always chose lesser-known actors for for the roles. Gus Fring was originally supposed to appear in only three or four episodes of Breaking Bad. Giancarlo Esposito was asked to return for seven episodes in season three. Esposito refused to return unless he could appear in more episodes. He ended up appearing in 11 episodes in the third season. When characters on the show are smoking meth, they are actually smoking sugar or rock candy without inhaling. The Candy Meth was produced by The Candy Lady, a local business in Albuquerque. A great series trademark in Breaking Bad is virtually every episode contains a point of view POV shot from inside a confined space. Frequently used is a shot from inside a car trunk. Most others come from inside refrigerators, swimming pools, crates, boxes, lab equipment, kitchen utensils, microwaves, washing machines, bags, and from below, glass tables. Vince Gilligan stated that he was inspired by the Christmas classic Frosty the Snowman. When creating the character of the Heisenberg persona for Walter White, just like Frosty comes alive when he puts on his hat, Heisenberg does Heisenberg also comes alive when he puts the hat on. In August 2013, in a Terry Gross interview, Bob Odenkirk said that he based his character Saul Goodman partly on the Hollywood agents Robert Evans and Ari Emanuel. Emanuel, who was also the inspiration for the character played by Jeremy Piven in the TV series Entourage, and a different Odenkirk character, Stevie Grant, on the Larry Sanders show in 1992, is Odenkirk's Odenkirk's actual agent. The last episode of Breaking Bad is number 62, the 62nd, I'm just going to say it differently, sorry. There are, there are 62 episodes in Breaking Bad. Now, the 62nd element on the periodic table is Samarium, which is one of the primary drugs used in treating lung cancer, the disease in which Walt suffers from. According to Dean Norris, while shooting the first half of season five of Breaking Bad, he got a job offer to play a leading part in a sitcom. Norris, knowing the series was ending and thinking about providing for his family, suggested to Vince Gilligan the idea of killing Hank in those first eight episodes, arguing it would be shocking and unexpected. Gilligan refused, saying he needed Hank for the second half of the season. Hank ended up getting killed in one of the last episodes. Speaking of... (laughs) during that infamous pizza scene where walt throws the pizza onto the roof it was actually brian cranston who threw it for real and he also managed to do it in one take vince gilligan called it a once in a million shot yeah it was also a complete fluke and that house is actually a real house with real residents who own the house and they use that as the exteriors for the walter white family house and at, because so many tourists and people came and were parking and taking photos constantly at the house, they eventually had to put up fencing and security cameras. And then sat to the point where they had to basically change the complete exterior of the house so that people are less likely to go visit it and pay homage to the show. That must have been annoying. Yeah. And people were going up to the house and throwing pizzas onto the roof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that Instagram photo. All right, you got anything else? Those are all my trivia facts. All right, well, thanks, everybody, so much for tuning in to this Breaking Bad episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. This is such a fun thing to talk about. We love the show. We'll do more TV, hopefully, but in the meantime, make sure to become a patron at patreon.com slash raidersofthelostpodcast.com to financially support us and get awesome perks like podcast schedules, bonus episodes. You get to talk to us anytime you want, and all sorts of fun stuff. If you all join our Patreon, then we don't have to make meth to get by. And I can <laughs> eventually quit my job. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Take care, everyone.